The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. The story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is a story of misfits, and there's all kinds of misfits. There's uh, a reindeer who's a misfit, of course, Rudolph. There's uh, an elf that's a misfit. There's uh, a toy that's a misfit. There's a prospector, Yukon Cornelius. We talked about him last week. He's a, a misfit. And there's all these misfits, and the story is how these people together find a place where they belong um, at Christmas time. And there's one particular, to understand the story, there's one part of the storyline that is particularly uh, mo- interesting and moving. And it's around this one particular misfit toy named Charlie. If it's been a long time since you've seen the movie or if you've never seen the movie Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, I want to introduce you to this character or reintroduce you to this character named Charlie. Check out this clip here on the screens. Where are we? Hey, looky up there! Halt! Who goes there? Us, of course. Who'd you think? Oh, well, then that's okay. Okay? Who, may I ask, are you? We're Rudolph and Hermie and Yukon Cornelius, sir. Who are you? I'm the official sentry of the Island of Misfit Toys. A jack-in-the-box for a sentry? Yes, my name is... Don't tell me. Jack. No, Charlie. That's why I'm a misfit toy. My name is all wrong. No child wants to play with a Charlie in the box, so I had to come here. He's a sad little character. He is a jack-in-the-box, and he is a misfit because he was named Charlie, and apparently there is no child that wants to play with a Charlie in the box, and so he found himself on this island. Now, this is the island of misfit toys. And you saw that lion that had the crown on with the wings. He's the king of that island. And he goes all around the world and finds misfit toys and brings them to this island. And a little farther into this story, we learn that all the toys on this island want one thing. And they actually, there's a whole song about it that we spared you from having to watch. Okay. And all of the toys on this island, they all want one thing. They're all waiting for that day that Santa might visit their island, scoop them up, put them in his bag of toys, and deliver them to a child somewhere around the world. They just want to make some child happy as uh, a toy. But they're misfits, and so they're waiting every single Christmas. And that part of the storyline of Rudolph had an interesting effect on our country the first time they watched it. It had a huge response when they watched uh, uh, this special. And that storyline really, really connected. I want to tell you why in a little bit. But it has something to do with the fact that here was a group of toys that were waiting. They were waiting for something. And waiting is something that all of us are acquainted with. We all understand what it's like to be waiting for something. And I'm not just talking about like waiting in line or waiting for a package to arrive. I'm talking about there are things in our lives, like significant parts of our lives, that we're waiting for it to come together and for it to become all right. 
There's things like a relationship. And maybe it's waiting for a relationship or waiting for one of the relationships that we have for that to, to like get put back together and be healed. It's like going through a difficult season. Maybe it's a health season or, or it's just a season of difficulty at work and just waiting for that season to come to a close. Maybe it has something to do with work. Maybe it's waiting for a job or, or maybe you're in a job but waiting for a job that you connect with and that's fulfilling or it's waiting for that moment when you retire one day. It's, it's, there's this waiting that we have and maybe it's just even more just down deeper. It's just this sense of waiting for joy or for, or for happiness to come in your life. There's these deep down things that we understand about waiting. And there's a character that we meet in this part of the Christmas story that we're looking at through this series, this Misfits series. There's a character that we meet named Simeon. And he's been waiting for something all his life. And as we see what he's waiting for, it gives us framework for how to handle the things that we're waiting for. I want you to look with me in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 22. Luke chapter 2. If you have a Bible or you have a Bible app, go ahead and open that up to Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 22. Let's take a look at what this says. Luke 2.22 says this, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Okay, now before we meet our, our main character here of the story, this sets the context. And we dug into this a little bit last week. Here's what's going on in this story. Mary and Joseph are bringing baby Jesus. He's probably five to six weeks old at this point. They're bringing him to Jerusalem, and they're coming as part of the ritual of offering sacrifices. Now, every, every home, every family in Israel, they were commanded by laws. These are ancient laws. They were commanded that when there's a baby that is born to a house, there are certain laws there's certain sacrifices they're supposed to give. So they're coming, um, they're gonna give, they're coming to the temple. Uh, Mary's going to give a sacrifice for her purification. They're going to give a sacrifice for Jesus, for his purification. And we talked about last week that the law prescribed a lamb for their purification. But that's not what they're bringing, is it? They're bringing two turtle doves or two pigeons. And that reveals something about Mary and Joseph, and it helps us understand the gravity of this whole story. Mary and Joseph are taking advantage of one small line in the Levitical law, where if a family could not afford a lamb, instead they could bring two pigeons or two turtle doves. And so they're walking into the temple, probably with a basket of two pigeons or two turtle doves that they had purchased there, and it's showing really to everyone who's there that they're impoverished, they're poor. As they're walking through the temple, they're walking with these sacrifices. Now before we go any further, I just want to set the context because this is such a beautiful story. I want you to be visualizing it in just high definition here. And so I want to give you kind of the context of what the temple was like. It is this huge, uh, this huge complex 
right in the middle is where the holy place is, where the, where the priests go in. But all around that is this massive patio, this massive stone paved patio with a colonnade all around. And it's probably always filled with people. There are people that are coming to pray. There are people coming to make sacrifices. There's maybe other moments like Mary and Joseph. It's like a significant moment in their life and they're coming to the temple for that moment. It's probably always crowded with thousands of people all around for this moment. The temple is really, it's kind of like the centerpiece of all of Israel is that temple. It's placed there up. You notice it says they go up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's up on a mountain, and the temple is one of the highest places in all Jerusalem. So they're going there. It's filled with people, and I imagine Mary and Joseph, they're not city people. I imagine them walking with their pigeons, kind of getting uh, pushed around, jostled around as they're moving through the crowds to fulfill these laws. Okay, now let's see what happens next. Look with me at verse 25. Here's what it says. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. We meet our main character here. His name is Simeon, and we we learn very little about him. We don't really know how old he is, although we can tell by some of the things he's he's about to say that he's at the end of his life. He's probably uh, much older. We don't know what he does, but the fact that it's not listed means it's probably not significant. So he's, you know, he's not really a bigwig in Jerusalem. He's not royalty. He's not a priest. He's not some well-known prophet. He's just a guy. He's just a guy. It says he's righteous and devout. He loves God, and he's trying to live in a way that reflects that. He's trying to live a godly life. He's, he's just a guy, but he's a godly guy, but he's waiting for something. He's waiting. The thing that Simeon is waiting for is it says this phrase, the consolation of Israel. I have to drill into this to understand and appreciate what's about to happen. The consolation of Israel, let's break that apart. Consolation, when you hear that word, I don't want you to think like consolation prize. I want you to think consolation as in consoling. I don't know if um, you've ever been hurting or you've ever had someone, a friend that's hurting or going through a hard time and you've attempted to console them, and you maybe try to say something to make it better, but it doesn't work. You've had someone attempt to make you feel better, but it doesn't work. You know, there's times we attempt to console, and it doesn't actually make anything better. Sometimes it makes it worse. But there are moments in difficulty that do bring consolation, meaning it makes everything right. Like, I want to just share a quick story with you that shows the difference between attempting to console and actual, what actual consolation looks like. And it's just a moment in uh, my life, my, Rebecca and my lives that we're especially remembering right now since we're expecting our, our third child. Um, she's going to be born in, in April. And um, we're remembering back at the, uh, when uh, Scarlett, our, our oldest, when uh, Rebecca was giving birth to Scarlett, and um, I was there in the room with her, and, and some of you know that um, when it comes to medical situations, okay, I'm not so good, okay? I actually become a medical situation in medical situations. And so I'm there, and I'm trying to be, you know, like really encouraging, and man, we are like deep into labor. I mean, we're getting to like the moment here, and like I'm trying to like encourage Rebecca, and, and all of a sudden the doctor looks over me and sees that like I am sheet white, okay? 
which I'm already almost sheet white, so that means, like, it was bad, okay? And so the doctor looks at me and says, are you okay? And I'm, like, getting really lightheaded, and I'm getting, like, cold sweats. Like, no, 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 I'm, I'm fine. I'm doing great. And she says, okay, I cannot deal with you right now, okay? I need you to go sit down in that chair over there. And I look at Rebecca, and she's like, yeah, just please, just go. Get out of here, okay? So I go to the other side of the room, like, kind of slowly, okay? And I go, and I sit down, and she looks at me, and she sees that I'm in bad shape. She's like, okay, you've got to elevate your feet, Okay. And she's like, and you need to get something in your system. You need, like, electrolytes or sugar or something. You have something you can eat. And I look in what we brought, and I'm like, well, I have these Pop-Tarts. That's all I have. And she's like, okay, eat those, okay? And so I'm sitting there in the corner while my wife is in labor. I've got my feet propped up. And I'm eating a Pop-Tart. And I'm realizing, man, the optics on this moment are not good. Like if someone walks in, I'm like, hey, doing a good job, honey, you know. (laughs) Keep it up, all right. So I'm eating this Pop-Tart. Okay, now I promise you my encouragements didn't go very far from the safety of my corner on the other side of the hospital room, okay. That wasn't very consoling, okay. But there was a moment that was like full consolation. Like that moment that our child was born and for the first time placed in Rebecca's arms. I mean, there is something amazing about birth where it goes from such difficulty in labor to like in a split second, like it's all made up for because you're holding that child. Everything's kind of like made right in, the, in a sense. That's what consolation means. He's waiting for the moment when everything is made right, like all the pains, all the difficulties, everything is perfectly consoled because everything that's been waiting for comes together. He's waiting for consolation. But the consolation of what? He's waiting for the consolation of Israel itself, his people, his nation. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. What needs to be made right in Israel in this moment? Like, what is he saying needs to be made right? This is an incredible story of this people. They're this people that have been given all of these promises that they've been waiting on. And in the midst of the fact that there's these promises on all of these people, the looks as they look around their circumstances, like they're not even close to being fulfilled. Like God gave them all these promises. And he gave them all these promises that were forever promises. Like God says to Abraham, who his descendants are the people of Israel, from um, Abraham, he's the father of this nation. And he started with Abraham and he said, I am going to make a mighty people, a nation out of you. Your offspring are going to bless all the nations in the world. And he says, I'm going to give you a land. You're going to dwell in this land. It's going to be yours. And then he says, forever. And he says, If you're Simeon, you're waiting around, you're saying, God, I'm trying to believe in these promises, but I look around like, how are we going to be a people that's going to bless the world? I I thought this was supposed to be our land. It's not our land. It now belongs to Rome. And with every centurion, every Roman soldier, every Roman ruler that comes parading through here, we're reminded that this land that you promised us is not ours. That, That how could we impact anyone? We're oppressed. He's waiting for the consolation of this promise. He's standing there in in Jerusalem, the city of David, 
It's in that city where God said, this will be my city. My, my presence will be there forever. I mean, is this the evidence of your presence, God? And what about David? He, he gave David a forever promise. He says, your descendants will be on the throne forever. There wasn't a descendant of David on the throne. Simeon must have been like, God, what are you doing? Like, when are you going to bring out the consolation of all of these forever promises? He's standing right there in the temple, and there's these forever promises. Like, right there in the temple, he says, my presence is going to dwell in this temple, and, and there's a priesthood that's going to be forever, and, and they're going to serve me forever. In fact, even the priests, there'd be this light that they would light, and they would keep lit in the temple before God, this light lit forever. And he must have looked at this and said, man, is this it, God? I mean, as I look around me, is this what you are meaning for Jerusalem and this temple and this priesthood and this light to kind of radiate through the world? We're just this oppressed people. And he's yearning and waiting, God, when are you going to fulfill your promises? When are you going to make everything right? He's waiting. But there's something else interesting about Simeon. Look at this next verse. This is unbelievable. Look at this, 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would, he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now get this. Those promises starting back to Abraham were like 2,000 years old. I mean, the promises to David were 1,000 years old. They had been oppressed for hundreds of years. And these are old promises. I mean, generation after generation after generation after generation. And there's one guy, one guy one day that God is looking at all of Israel. And he says, that guy, that one. Simeon, let's give him a heads up about something. Just that guy. I want you to tell that one, Simeon, I want you to give him a heads up that before he dies, he will see the Lord's Christ. In other words, the Lord's Messiah. This guy, I want you, let's give him kind of a heads up that he is going to see the one, the Messiah, who will catalyze who, who, will, who will spark, ignite the consolation of all of Israel. Let's just lay it on that guy's heart that he of all people is going to see that before he dies. I mean, can you realize the gift given to Simeon? I mean, why that guy? He's not a priest. He's not some prophet, some famous prophet. He's not a king. He's not royalty. He's not a bigwig. He's a misfit. That God is just saying, Let's just do something special for him. Can you imagine, like, what was that like that he got that sense he was going to see the Messiah? I mean, was it like a dream? Was it a vision? We don't know. Was it just this moment one day where he's praying in the temple and, um, and he just gets this sense, like, I think I'm going to see the Messiah. And he, and he goes back to his wife and says, I just, I don't know. I just got this sense from God, like, one day I'm going to see the Messiah before I die. And she's like, you, really? Are you sure that God said that to you? Imagine what that must have been like. Like, he must have woke up the next morning like, okay, that was crazy. God, I... 
I, I, maybe this is just ego, maybe this is pride. I, I just surrender this to you, God. I, I can't imagine. I mean, all the generations, why me of all people? Like, why, why, who am I to think that I would do that? Like, God, I surrender this to you, and then God's just hounding him. Maybe that's how it was. Maybe it was just God just hounding him. No, you're going to see this. You're going to see this, and he just can't escape it. And so he's waiting, and probably waiting day after day, week after week, month after month. Maybe he went through long stretches where he fervently believed, and then long stretches where he was losing faith and losing hope and doubting, and then other times where he was like, you really believed, and sometimes he wasn't sure, and and week after week, month after month, year after year, maybe decade after decade, wondering, God, what am I supposed to do with this promise that I'm going to see the Messiah? And then one day, a poor couple holding this baby walks into the temple. Like, can you like, feel the tension? Like, I want to see this video one day when I'm in heaven. You got Mary and Joseph kind of being jostled around. They're walking in with their baby, you know, and trying to keep their, their baby, you know, consoled. You know, there's like all these people, probably wide-eyed, like trying to figure out where they're supposed to go in the temple, and they've got their, their pigeons, okay, and they're walking in, and then there's this guy. You've got them, this poor couple, kind of probably pushed around. No one thinks anything special about this poor couple with their five-week-old baby. But there's one guy who's looking for the Messiah. Look at what happens. Verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. He's going to say a lot of other incredible things and we'll look at that next week, but I want to just, just stop here for today. He has this sense in the spirit. Again, I, we don't know what this meant, but he has this sense that he's supposed to go to the temple. Maybe he woke up and it's like, I, I think maybe I mean, I'm supposed to be in the temple. And maybe, and maybe he's like wondering, what, what am I doing? This is silly. Or maybe he gets there and he's like, God, I just, I think this is from you. Is this the day? I mean, here's this man who's been waiting on this probably for years and he gets to the temple and maybe he's looking around looking for, who is this? Am I going to see the Christ, the Messiah today? And he's looking around and he, and he sees this, this teacher of the law and he's like, listening, I don't think so. And he comes over here and he, and he sees this famous royalty person. He's like, no, I don't think it's him. And he's looking over here at this person and maybe this person and maybe it's just right as he's getting discouraged, like, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. And maybe he's just about to walk out and all of a sudden he sees this wide-eyed, poor couple walking in with a baby and something surges inside of him he knows his heart starts throbbing tears start welling up in his eyes and he approaches them and he takes this child in his arms and he looks on the face of this baby and he knows and he looks up to heaven I imagine tears streaming down his face he's choking back both laughter and 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 crying at the same time and he looks up into heaven and this is what he says he says god now i can depart in peace i can die now god because the consummation of my entire life the fulfillment of everything i've been waiting for the whole purpose of my life has now been fulfilled because i've looked on the face of my messiah he doesn't even need to know how it's going to work I don't even need to know how he's going to be the Messiah. I don't know if he's going to lead some kind of revolution or if he's going to be a teacher or a prophet or a ruler. I, he doesn't even need to know. He's seen the face of his Messiah and now he says, you can take me home. My life has been fulfilled now. 
Can you imagine the gravity of that moment? That God did just for this guy. I, I want to make sure you know before you die, you, you will see the Messiah. And he's holding Jesus there. What a moment. You know, in the um, movie, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, there, there, there's um, the way it was aired in 1964. Um, it ends with um, Santa saying, hey, let's go back to the island of misfit toys first. And then the credits pretty much roll after that. And um, people, when they saw this, there's a huge viewer uh, audience when that was aired on television. And when people saw that, they, they were grateful that they were going to go back to the island of misfit toys, but they so badly wanted to see what, it, what happened when Santa arrived that they wrote letters in. People wrote letters in asking that they would add that scene in. And so they got so many letters in 1964 and 65 that when they aired it Christmas 1965, they added this ending, and this is now the standard ending for the movie. Check out, this is how it ends now, the movie. Well, it's Christmas Eve, but... Looks like we're forgotten again. But Rudolph promised we'd go this time. Oh, guess the storm was too much for them. Might, might just as well go to bed and start dreaming about next year. I haven't any dreams left to dream. We'll never get off this island. Never. Wait a minute. What's that? Is it? Is it? It sure is. It's Santa. And look, Rudolph is leading the way. You can see his nose from here. Well, let's be on our way. Now, I, um, I don't know when the last time you watched a movie and when you finished watching the movie, maybe you walked out of the theater or you were just sitting there at, you know, at home and you're saying, man, I wish they had shown this scene. I wish I had seen. There's a scene that they didn't show that I wish they had. But I wonder when the last time was you were so motivated that you wrote a letter about it. Okay, so I was thinking about this. Like, what phenomenon happened in 1965? Like, what was happening that, like, people were like, I have to see what happens, like, I know what happens. I want to see it, okay? What's wrong with you people? Put that scene in, okay? Like, they were pretty motivated. And so I was thinking about this, and I, I wonder if what happened is that it, it struck a chord. This children's movie, it struck a chord inside of people because all of us know the experience of waiting for something to be made right. And people just wanted to see it. We have this, this moment in Simeon's life where his, what he'd been waiting for for his life, he finally gets to see it. And so moving this, this moment because his whole life gets made right. But remember, what he's waiting for is not just something for his life. He's waiting for the consolation of all of Israel. I mean, think about it. They're in the temple, okay? And there's a light that's supposed to be burning perpetually in the temple as a light to all the nations. And that is all 
fulfilled in this baby. The baby will be the light to all the nations. He's the light of the world. The priests that were supposed to keep that light burning that will be a priest forever, there'll be a priesthood forever. He is the ultimate high priest, the mediator between God and men. He is the ultimate fulfillment of that priest and he lives forever. They're standing in this moment in the temple. The temple that is to proclaim God's name. His presence would dwell in the temple. That baby is literally housing the full presence of God. That baby is God in the flesh. He is the temple housing the presence of God forever. They're standing there. They're in the city of David. They're waiting for a king from the line of David that will reign forever. He is, this baby is the son of David. The the dynasty of King David was a stump cut off, and he's the new branch that grows out of that stump. He is the king for all of Israel. He is the one. He is the offspring of Abraham through whom all the nations will be blessed because one day he will call people from every tongue and tribe and nation to the ultimate promised land in heaven where they will dwell forever. He is the consolation of all of Israel, but not just of all of Israel. He is the consolation for all of the universe because he's not just the king of Israel. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the king over all of the universe. That's who this child is. And so in this Christmas, here's here's what happens at Christmas, I think. Man, there's just something about Christmas that it's like it kicks up all the things that we're waiting for. And it's just something about like the passage of another year in this holiday season with Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and we're reflecting about previous Christmases and future Christmases and, and we ask ourselves like the questions like this, like is this where I thought I'd be this time of year? No, I, you know, I thought I'd be in this kind of relationship or that this relationship would be fixed or I, I thought I'd be farther in my job or I thought it would have been a better, more successful year or I thought it was going to be this or I thought I'd feel happier and I wasn't expecting this to happen during the year. And, and we have all this kind of reflective stuff going on and it's just kind of churning and kind of kicking up and stirring up the things that we are truly waiting for. What are we yearning for? Because here's what we've got to do. Maybe the greatest act of worship that we can possibly do is understand what the consolation for our lives really is. Can we just do some work together for a second? Here's what I want you to do right there in your mind. Just silently, I want you to hold out in your mind What is that thing that you're waiting for? Just give it words in your mind and just hold it. Is it it success in your job? Is it promotion? Is it like a salary amount? Like all my life I'm building towards that as a retirement plan? Like what are you building towards? Is it it like a particular place you want to live, a car you want to drive? Is it a standard of living you want to achieve? Is it a friendship? You say, look, I'm just so lonely. I'm waiting for those friendships. Or, you know what, I've got this broken relationship with my child or with my spouse or with my parents or with a friend, and I'm just waiting for that to come together. Like, what is it that you are realizing? I'm waiting for this. And inside, you're asking, God, when will you do it? When is it going to happen? Can you hold that it out in your hands? In your, in your mind, just hold it there. Just hold it out before God. Give words to what it is that we're waiting for because here's what we, we have to do. We have to take that and we have to ask, is this thing that we're waiting for that we think is going to make everything right in our life? Is it something God promised 
or not. Because he promised a lot of powerful, beautiful things. And everything we need is found in something he's promised. But so often there's a lot of things that we're expecting, we're waiting for, that our society kind of tells us that we should expect. And sometimes we kind of bring that into our spirituality and we kind of expect it from God and God's saying, I never promised you that. Like our society, you know, we're kind of built on this kind of American dream where we should expect, you know, with hard work we'll get success and health and wealth and happiness and that everything kind of works right. And sometimes we can expect that and then take it to God and when something doesn't align according to our plan for whatever we think is going to make us happy, we're like, God, what are you doing here? Like, this is not what I agreed. And now, we, now we're, we're standing on the foundation of expecting something that was not promised from God and that is a shaky foundation. Because he says, I didn't promise that and if that's what your life is building towards, like if that is the moment your life will have found its meaning and its fulfillment, that will crumble underneath you and leave you discouraged, hopeless, unhappy. You say, yeah, but didn't God promise me like, um, that, that I would be blessed and have all these joyous circumstances and happy circumstances in my life and that all things work together? What he actually promised is no matter your circumstances, he will give you joy and peace in the midst of them. That's what he promised. See, what he's promised, all these things, that they're, some of them are good things, they're not bad things. Some of these promises we hold on to, we say, yeah, I don't want to let go of this. And he's saying, the best thing you could do for yourself is let go of them because I've promised you something infinitely greater, so latch on to those promises. He says, I've, I've promised you a life that no circumstances can, can touch because you find joy and peace in Jesus. See, what he's promised is that promised child, the Messiah, the face of your Messiah. He's promised you Jesus, and from Jesus come all of the promises that you need in your life. Does anyone believe that? He's promised you joy in the midst of your circumstances. Here's what he's promised you. He's promised you no matter what you went through this year and what you're going to go through next year, he will never leave you or forsake you. That's what he's promised you. Here's what he's promised you. He's promised you no matter what's happening in your life because of Jesus, because of the fact that he died on a cross to pay for your sins and rose again so you could be adopted as a son or daughter of Almighty God. That means that he's promised you that God is for you And that means he's promised whatever your circumstances are, he's going to work them together for good. And so that means you, like Simeon, can say, I don't need to know how he's going to be my Messiah. I just need to know that he is going to be my Messiah and he's going to work it all together for good. He's promised you so much greater. Do you know what he's promised you? He's promised you that even though this life will be difficult, this is not heaven. This is not heaven, Christian. And if the world is telling you to make this into heaven, God is saying, I promised you the opposite. I said you'll be a stranger and an alien in this world. Your promise is waiting for your inheritance is in heaven. Here's what he promised you. It's this, at the very final pages of Revelation. Here's what he promised you in Revelation 21, verse 2. Can you hear these words? This is your promise. He says, and I saw the holy city New Jerusalem 
coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Is that good news for any of you today? Church, that is your promise. It's so much greater than anything this world has to offer. If you build your expectation of the consolation, if your moment is my life will make sense when this happens, if it's anything the world has to offer, you're settling for something so far short from what he's promised. Your consolation is when you stand before your Messiah, when you, when you look on the face of Jesus, your Savior, that is your consolation. When he makes all things new. That's the moment we're waiting for. Can I give you good news of one more thing he promised? The last words, the last sentences in the entire Bible, we have these words from Jesus. He says, Behold, I am coming soon. And the church responds and says, Come, Lord Jesus. Any moment, your Savior will reappear in this world. Jesus will say, It's time for the ends of all things. And he will return. And in that moment, he will make everything right. There's nothing the world has to offer you that could possibly compare with the consolation, the purpose, the fulfillment of everything that your existence is built on, the moment when you lay eyes on your Messiah. If there's one thing you could do, the most significant act of worship maybe that you could do this Christmas season is take this thing you're holding on that you think you're waiting for, it might be a good thing. And take that and say, I surrender that, God. Whether you do that in my life or not is immaterial. And you leave it behind and build your life on the firmer foundation of the promise that you have in your Savior. Let's take some time before God today and do some work before the Lord. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're watching online, would you just bow your heads quietly just for a moment? Christian, I want to just speak to you for a second. Those of you here who are following Christ, can you just take a quiet moment before God with your heads bowed? Can you take this moment today and whatever that thing was in your mind where you were saying, that is what I've been waiting for in this life. It might be something you've built your life on. It might be something you've been holding on for years. I mean, this might be a significant moment in your life. 
where for the first time you're letting go of a goal or a dream and surrendering it to God? Because God says, I didn't promise that. I promised way, something way more. And maybe today is a significant moment where you say, God, I surrender that. I still want that, but I, I surrender that to you. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that thing in your mind and, for if, and I want you just to take a moment and offer it to God. And for some of you, you need to draw that line in the sand. So I'm gonna ask you to do something bold. There's nobody looking around. Your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed. If, if Christian, if you're here saying, look, I, I, need to hold, I need to surrender something to God today. Then I want you just to, as a, before God, I just want you to slip your hand up in the air and say, yep, that's me. I'm surrendering something. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. I see it. Amen. All over. Amen. Is that you today? You're saying, look, I, I, I'm following Jesus, but I realize I'm building my hope on something else, my expectation on something else, and I need to surrender it because my hope is Jesus and nothing compares to that Christian. If that's you, man, take that bold step and surrender that today. If that's you, slip your hand up right now. Amen. Praise God. Anybody else? Praise God. Amen. Amen. Give that to him. But there's some of you that are here today and you're saying, look, I've built my life on something completely different, and I want to know. You said he promised eternity in heaven. How do I know for sure that I will have heaven? It, it just comes down. It's not about what you do. You can't live a life religious enough or good enough. It's all built on the fact that Jesus, that Messiah, took your sin. He paid for it on the cross. He rose again from the dead. It's about what he did, not what you did, not what you do. He gives you salvation as a free gift. You just have to put your faith in Jesus. Some of you need to find your Savior, Jesus, today. And if that's you, you say, I want to put my faith in Jesus for the first time today. Would you just slip your hand in the air and say, that's me? Say, I want to put my faith in Jesus for the first time. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Anybody else? You say, look, that's me today. I need to, for the first time, put my faith in Jesus. Just slip your hand in the air and say, look, that's me. Amen. For those of you who want to take that step, for those of you joining us online, you want to take that step, I want to lead you in this prayer. Just repeat these words silently in your heart to God and take that step of faith. Just say, God, thank you. Thank you for finding a way to save me. I know that I'm far from you, but Jesus brought me close. I died on the, he died on the cross to pay for my sins. And he rose again from the dead. I believe that. Be my savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.